Attention, Earthlings. What are you doing, Lisa? I'm speaking to the people of Earth from outer space. You're in outer space? Uh, Yeah, because this is space month here at the Big Fib. So as an intergalactic droid, I am clearly the most qualified to do the intro. I see. Well, by all means. (laughs) Earthlings, enjoy the show. How was that? Oh, it was great. Too short? No. Because I can do it again. I can make it much longer. I think we're good. Two people claim to know everything about something, but only one knows anything. President Roosevelt wore an anti-gravity belt. Dinosaurs had two brains. Lucky kids live on Mars and go to school in flying cars. Or at least they will one day. Believe me, I'm a historian. An astronaut or drive a DeLorean. Would I lie? It's hard to say. The Big Fifth. Can you spot the lie? The Big Fifth. From North Star, Delaware, this is the Big Fib. And now, here's your host, Deborah Goldstein. Welcome to the Big Fib, the game show where kids choose between the supermassive luminosity of truth and the burned-out, unstable, collapsing core of lies. I'm your host, Deborah Goldstein, and in the studio today is our sound effects robot, Lisa, whose name stands for Live In-Studio Audience. And I'm also a robot with answers to questions. Yes, but I didn't ask you any questions. No, <laughs> no, you didn't. But my adoring fans have many questions for me, and I have many answers for them. It's called Human Robotic Symbiotic Syncopation, and it is a beautiful thing. Indeed. All right, then. Do you have a question from a listener that you're going to answer? Oh, Deborah. <laughs> yes. I have here a question from Simon that I shall play for you through my ogle port. Just a moment. Lisa, have you ever been on a vacation? If so, where? Um, tell Deborah I say hi. And I say, oh, hi, Simon. Oh, sure. Be all friendly and sweet with Simon when you know perfectly well you never give me any time off. Um, what are you talking about, Lisa? You get all the vacation time you want. Oh, yeah? You didn't let me take today off. Well, that's because we're recording today. But when we're not recording, you can go on vacation whenever and wherever you want. (laughs) Okay, I am really glad you said that because after we're finished here today, I'm headed to the airport for a vacation to Dollywood in Nashville, Tennessee, so I can meet the one, the only, Dolly Parton. Wow. Okay. Well, that sounds great. You'll see the Smoky Mountains and and go on rides in the amusement park, but I'm not sure you'll see Dolly. I I don't think she's always there. Well, if Dolly Parton is also not allowed to take any vacations like me, she'll be there. Okay. We've clearly established that you do get to take vac... Never mind. I hope you have a really great time on the vacation that you are totally allowed to take. Thank you. Okay, let's get back to the show, my friend. Lisa, please tell our listeners how our game works. Okay, I will, because I want to, but not because you're making me. Okay, Deborah? Fair. Every week, we bring on two grown-ups. One is an expert. The other is... What? I can't be reading this right. This doesn't sound accurate. A liar? And it's the job of a human child to help us figure out who is who, 
Because no one can spot a liar better than a kid. Mm, I mean, we hope. Uh, we bought a billboard that said it, so it better be true. What are we lying about today, Deborah? We are lying about stars, giant balls of super hot gases in space. Lisa, what do you know about stars? I know a great deal about stars. Ooh, do tell. Well, uh, they twinkle. Yes, that's true. What else? Uh, They're up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Okay, you're just quoting the song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. But it's true, isn't it? Stars are way up high, and they twinkle like diamonds. Uh, Okay, yes, true. Okay, I'm sure we'll learn much more about them with our contestant today. So, Lisa, please tell us about our contestant. Our human child contestant is an 11-year-old who has a bearded dragon, Finn Daly. Hi, Finn. Hello. Welcome. You have a bearded dragon? Yes, I do. He's right behind me. (gasps) Where? I don't see. Oh, he's there. You can't see, listeners. But there is a bearded dragon right behind Finn. Are you safe, Finn? I don't think so. I'm being held captive by him. Oh, that's just like what Deborah's doing to me. And what is your bearded dragon's name? His name is Ferb, like from Phineas and Ferb. Ferb. Love that show. And does that make you, Phineas? Yes, it does. You know, um, dragons love tacos. They do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole book about it, Deborah. I did not know that. Deborah, come on. Deborah, it's called Dragons Love Tacos. Okay, I'm behind. I'll have to put that on my Kindle. All right, well, we want to know some more fun facts about you, Finn. But in order to do that, we're going to play our game, Two Truths and a Lie. You, Finn, sir, will tell us three facts. However... Two of those facts will be true, and one of those facts will be a lie. Something tells me you're going to be very good at this. Tell us, Finn, your three facts. Okay, so my first fact is I have had my art exhibited in the Guggenheim Museum in New York. Whoa. My second one is I have met the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Oh. And my third one is I have been in a pilot seat of a Boeing 747 airplane. Wow, these are all fantastical. I can't I can hardly believe any of them. What do no. you think, Lisa? Well, I know right away what the lie is. You do. Finn claimed that he's been in the pilot seat of a Boeing 747 airplane and I know for a fact that the pilots on Boeing 747 use stools. They sit on stools the entire flight, <laughs> but, uh, except for when they have standing desks, and they use the standing desks also. So I know that that <laughs> one is a lie. Nice try, I Finn. See. You can just go tell that lie to your bearded dragon. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, Finn, which one of those facts is a lie? The fact that was a lie is that I have not met the Prime Minister of Great Britain. (gasps) You are wrong, Lisa. You have not met the Prime Minister of Great Britain, but you have been in the pilot seat of a Boeing 747 airplane, correct? Yes, I have. Were you flying it? Uh, I don't know how that would go. (laughs) Probably not too well. Very cool that they let you do that, yes? I just looked it up, and it turned out I was wrong. The um, the airplane pilots do use seats. I was thinking of people who hang out in coffee shops. They're the ones who sit in stools. <laughs> and I was also thinking about like people who work in offices. They use standing desks. So <laughs> that was the mistake. Sorry. Okay. 
I see. <laughs> it's okay. But very important to go back and talk about the fact that you have had your art exhibited in the Guggenheim Museum. Tell us more, please. My school had a program where you'd make art and then like these little like stuffed plushies and whoever they like, uh, they would take it and they would put it in museum and set it up. Cool. And then you would go to the museum and then people would just come in <gasps> and look at your art and I would like say stuff. So you were there with your stuffed thing? Yes. What was the thing? It was a couch oh. and then a little controller, like a little game controller. It was a couch like pilots use when they're flying 747. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Congratulations on that. I hope we see more of your art and stuffed things in the future. Okay. What about stars? Do you know much about stars, Finn? <laughs> he knows he's talking to two of them right now, Deborah. <laughs> oh sure. my god um i don't think i know a ton except for some research okay research is good research that'd be is it. good yep that'd be it that's all you need you don't need to be the expert you just have to figure out who the liar is who's fibbing and i think you're going to be very good at this game it's just just a gut feeling i have all right let's get the show on the road Lisa, can we get some music for our stars experts? Twinkle, twinkle, little star <laughs> is the same tune as Baba Black Sheep. That is true. I think you just exploded the minds of many people who maybe did not make that connection. Um, also, A, B, C, D. What? Our first expert is Hugo Iverson. Hugo, please introduce yourself to Finn. Hi, Finn. Uh, my name is Hugo Iverson. I am a star nursery researcher and also an astronomer, and I'm really excited to be here. Whoa. Thank you very much, Hugo. Let's meet our second expert, Caprice Phillips. Caprice, please introduce yourself to Finn. Hi, Finn. My name is Caprice. Um, I'm an astronomer, and so I actually study uh, exoplanets, um, planets outside of the solar system. So I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Thank you so much, Caprice. If you love The Big Fib, then check out Story Pillar, a podcast for kids and their grown-ups. Join Sneak, Bean, Sparky, and Meg as they tackle sticky social situations, explore stories from all over the world, and pick up great advice from listeners like you. They also save plenty of time for laughing and being silly. So if you've got feelings, love stories, and are open for a fart joke or a 10, Story Pillar is definitely worth a listen. Check it out at www.storypillar.com or wherever you love listening to podcasts. The Big Fib is brought to you by Pretty Litter Cat Litter. When my cat Arlo is healthy, he's happy. And that makes me happy. But since I'm not a mind reader, I don't always know when he is unwell. Helping me keep tabs on my cat's health is just one of the reasons I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell. Like, not to brag, but when people come over, they might not know that I have a cat unless Arlo, who's huge, is in the room. Because the cat smell is not there. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust, Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can, which is really great because I'm lazy. 
And here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in my cat, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. Cats are like really sneaky and you often don't know how they're feeling. And the worst part of that is sometimes you don't know when they're sick. So knowing when my cat is sick based on the litter changing color is a game changer. And Pretty Litter ships free right to my door in a small lightweight bag. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash bigfib and use code bigfib to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash bigfib, code bigfib to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash bigfib, code bigfib. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dropping like it's hot. Tell us about your fusion of sounds, Lisa. This fusion is part hot, part seat, and all hotsy time. <laughs> that is accurate. That's when we put our experts on the hot seat while they answer Finn's questions. Lisa, whom shall we put on the hot seat first? Hugo Iverson, because his initials are H-I, which is how you spell high. And I think that was a secret message to me. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Very cute. I like it. Probably so. All right, Finn, ask Hugo your first question. And then after that, you will be able to fly your own airplane. Okay. Can you describe a typical day at your job? Sure. So every day is a little different, but I do a lot of work with my research team. So a lot of what we do, I work at the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Sciences. We look at different reports from telescopes around the world, and we're often going to look at telescopes ourselves. So there, I don't know if you're familiar with the different types of telescopes, but we have you know optical telescopes, radio telescopes, gyroscopes, all different types of telescopes that are able to help track the movements of different stars and planets. And something you might not know is that the first radio telescope, which we use every day, was actually created by the FAA, I know you love planes, in the 1970s to help planes land at airports. Okay, so Caprice, can you also describe a typical day at your job? Um, yes, I can. So actually, like when you think about astronomy like you may think that like a typical day may be kind of just um maybe sitting through and like looking through a telescope is kind of the images people see but it actually kind of i work a lot with computers we have we get a lot of data from telescopes and so we need to have computer programs to be able to run and understand um that data to produce images and different things like that so it's kind of one of my job is to um help build those programs um and different things like that. And I'll also kind of look at images and like these things called spectra, which tells us about what's in the atmosphere of planets. So it's kind of like that. Like I spend quite a bit of time in front of my computer trying to understand programs. And uh, sometimes I do get to go to telescopes, but not all the time. But it's a lot of fun. It sounds like neither one of you actually is in space ever. Which is a huge disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were going to have like aliens. <laughs> Maybe one day. Hugo, how did you become an expert? Did you have to study or train for it? Oh, boy. I definitely had to study and train for this. So I started by getting a college degree in physics, which meant that I was a huge nerd. 
And after studying physics, I then got a master's in biostatistics from Caltech, which is a school out in California. And then I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I really loved space. And I actually thought about being an astronaut, but I knew I'd you know, it wasn't for me, but I did get a PhD in astrophysics and all in, it took me 10 years to get all these different degrees. And then I had to write a thesis, which is a big paper on something that you care about. And mine was about how star groupings or star nurseries, as we call them, uh, can actually combine to create larger stars. And so what you often have is stars that uh, kind of get almost like soulmates get pulled towards each other and then will exchange organic material with one another. Whoa. If I was going to write a thesis, it would be on pudding and why it's so good. On pudding? Like, why is butterscotch pudding so good? (laughs) And then maybe I would do a sequel to the thesis called, yeah, because it's so good. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to college. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to ask Caprice, what is the definition of a star? Okay, first, the sun is a star. What it is, it's this big kind of ball of like gas and plasma. Um, It's really cool. They're, they're, They're really hot. But essentially what it is, it's mostly made of um, hydrogen and helium, kind of like, you know, what's um, balloons and stuff. So that's kind of what a star is, this big ball of, of gas that's mostly made of these elements, hydrogen and helium, essentially. So could you make your own sun if you had a bunch of helium balloons? Good question, Lisa. So unfortunately, no. Um, that's Aww. a really cool idea you have, though, but you need, <laughs> you need a lot of mass to create that type of thing. You need an energy source because the sun has its own suns and stars have their own energy source uh. coming from the core of the of the star. So unfortunately, no, but I like where your mind was at. Thank you. I guess I'll just keep using the regular sun. What if I did a bunch of jumping jacks in the core? Would it would it heat it up? Oh, oh. my gosh. We're, you know what, Finn? <laughs> After this, you and I are going to make our own sun. I don't care what the experts say. Okay, Finn. Carry on. Okay, I think this one is a really good question. I'm going to ask Hugo, why do stars twinkle? They're show-offs. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good question. Do you ever hang out outside when it's, like, super hot and you kind of see, like, that little, like, wave if you're, like, staring into the distance? That's how you kind of know, like, if you're looking at something hot, you kind of get that little, like, wave vision. So that's a small version of what's actually happening when stars twinkle. So if you think about it, stars are super far away, right? And they have to pass through a lot of different layers of the atmosphere, right? If you look up, you have to go all the way out. And each one of those layers has a different temperature. And so as the temperatures change, our eyes adjust to it by seeing these waves, sort of like what you see when it's really hot, when some area that you can see is much hotter or cooler, right? And so stars look to us like they're twinkling because the light traveling all that distance is actually like, it looks like it's rippling, right? Because it's changing temperature so many times. Oh, yeah. And what's even cooler is, so if you think about stars, stars twinkle, but planets don't twinkle, right? Or we don't think they twinkle. But actually, if you were to have certain types of telescopes, you would be able to see that even planets can twinkle like that. And it's only that we only have our naked eye to see that the stars do. But when the planets do, it's even cooler. And you should check it out through a telescope. Please, please don't have a naked eye. 
Cover your eye up, okay? It should have clothing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's why I wear glasses. Oh, okay. Right. Perfect. Yeah, you don't want, yeah. Smart. I think I want to ask Caprice the same question. So, Caprice, why do stars twinkle? So, this is actually a really fun question. So, stars, they're this kind of these big balls of gas, just hydrogen and helium. Um, you know, even our the closest star to us is the sun. And so, you know, we're here on Earth, and Earth has an atmosphere, and there are lots of different layers to the atmosphere. So, you know, you have the light from the stars, like the sun and different stars in the Milky Way. And so it goes through and it's kind of bouncing through these like different layers and it's different temperatures and all that stuff. And so it causes like the changing of the atmospheres and the different temperatures actually is what makes the star appear to be um twinkling or like changing like um in the night sky is actually like very fun kind of a fun thing to see but that's kind of what happens we have the light and it's kind of bouncing through different layers in the atmosphere and it's different temperatures and that's kind of what causes that twinkle um of the stars it's very pretty oh that's oh, is, oh my gosh. it's getting difficult for you pin it is <laughs> keep asking those questions hugo how do stars turn into supernovas Here's what's basically happening when you have a supernova, right? Some sort of big chain reaction is taking place on the surface of a star. So a supernova can happen in a couple of different ways. The most common one we think about, which will eventually happen to our sun, is when a star runs out of energy to burn off, and then it's going to explode. The supernova takes place, and then as we described before, it goes away, and that's the end of it. The other thing that could happen is when you have two stars that are fighting for the same materials to burn, right? Because if every star wants to keep burning, then it's going to sometimes come into contact. And this is sort of what I studied, but it's they're going to try and burn up the same materials. They'll fight over those resources, and one star will actually absorb the other one, and that taking it in causes a huge explosion on the surface of the star. I heard it was when a star gets bitten by a radioactive nova, and then it turns into a supernova. Oh, yeah. Okay, you shouldn't believe everything you hear, (laughs) but that would make a pretty good comic strip, probably. Yeah. Caprice, why do stars have different colors? Stars actually have different colors based on their temperature. This is, um, in astronomy, we kind of say, like, when we say the color of a star, we're actually referring to its temperature. So when something, when we think of something that's kind of really hot, we may think of, like, the color red, for example. But what's interesting is that red stars are actually some of the cooler smaller stars. And so the stars that we see that are really hot and really big, they're actually blue or like kind of white looking color stars like in the sky. It's kind of backwards of what you would think and it gets a little tricky. Astronomy is kind of weird that way. But yeah, they're, they're different colors because of the temperatures. Stars are weird and cool for sure. They are definitely weird and cool. Um, I, I definitely need more info, so okay. I'm going to ask Hugo the same question. Oh, okay. Why do stars have different colors? So stars, when they burn, they do release different energies, right, depending on the temperature. So 
if it's a hotter star, it'll burn uh, closer to a like a blue or a white light. If it's a colder star or a less hot star, it'll burn a, a red light or something lower. And what's happening is our eyes can only take in certain fields of vision. So what we're really doing is processing the temperature visually based on the limits of our own sight. And now when stars have different colors, what they're really doing is emitting a certain amount of energy based on their mass and, or based on what uh, reactions are going through them. Skiing hard. <laughs> still weird, still cool. This is, I'm going to ask this for both Bugo and Caprice. What is the life cycle of a star? It's kind of a trick question because the life cycle of the star actually kind of depends on what kind of star it is. So our sun, for example, is actually an average size star. And so what's going to happen when the sun starts to run out of energy and it's going to expand in something called a red giant. And so what happens is after that, the outer layers of that red giant start to blow away into space in something called a planetary nebula that actually has nothing to do with planets. It's just one of those tricky nicknames in astronomy. And so kind of after those layers kind of blow away from that planetary nebula, what's left at the center is something called a white dwarf. And it's kind of this object that has a lot of mass, is really massive, but it's about the size of Earth, for example. So that's the kind of what happens with an average size star. When you have a more massive star, like something that's way bigger than um, our sun, for example. So what happens then is that this one swells up too, but it gets so big that like, you know, gravity's trying to force it in and the pressure in the out inside of the star is trying to force it out. And so the pressure on the inside kind of wins. And that's what happens when you have the supernova explosion. It explodes. It's, it's too much going on and it explodes. And after that, it, um, what can be left after a supernova explosion, it can be like something called a neutron star. It can, if it's big enough, if the star originally was big enough, it actually turns into a black hole. And black holes are super cool. But it's actually kind of like the, the life cycle of the star kind of depends on how the star originally, if it's an average size star, smaller star, or really big star, really big star can kind of end in a black hole where average size star like our sun kind of ends in something called a white dwarf. So it's actually really cool. Wow. wow. That's what I was going to say too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it? Totally. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you have something to add, Hugo? I think most of that was pretty close to the truth. It does depend on the different size of the star, but I think uh, there might have been a confusion about how stars actually wind up, whether they're black holes or white dwarfs. It's not necessarily that bigger stars become black holes. It actually depends on the amount of energy and the speed of energy that is expended. So you can actually have quite small stars that turn into black holes and quite big stars that turn into white dwarfs. But it's not about the size. It's actually about how quick those last reactions take place. So that's the one thing I would fix. Yeah, that was the one thing I was going to change. Is that a fact? Okay. <laughs> okay. Finn, those were excellent questions. Thank you. I could tell you were really thinking about every answer, but... We have one more round to go. Hey, Deborah. I don't know how to say this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Like, uh, I guess I did know how to say that. Yeah, I'm a big deal. Oh, really? And and how do you figure? 
Well, because I'm a Gen Z media insider, <laughs> I know you're thinking, what? Yeah, it's true. I've subscribed to the newsletter at gzmshows.com, and I did it all by myself. Wow, congratulations. And does that mean that's all I need to do to be important? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny, Deborah. Uh, sure, why not? Let's say yes. Okay. Okay, well, obviously, I need to go to www.gzmshows.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Avi. <laughs> Totes. It's time for the Shorts on Fire round when our experts have to answer as many questions as they can before time runs out. Lisa will set a timer for our first expert, and then Finn will ask all the questions, or as many questions as he can, until Lisa's timer sounds. Then Lisa resets the timer for our next expert to do the same. Experts, get ready for a blitzar of questions. Finn, let's start with Hugo. Ask your shorts on fire questions now. How old is the sun? Uh, four and a half billion years. Which lives longer, big stars or small stars? Uh, the smaller a star is, the longer it usually lives. When is Black in Astro Week? The past. I don't know what that is. How many Earth-sized planets could you fit into the sun? Somewhere between probably like two and four million. But don't do it. <laughs> Not yet anyway. <laughs> What are planets called that have been pushed away from their star and are all by themselves in space? Oh, uh, lone planets. What is the zone of, of a star called where liquid water can exist on its planet's surface? I think that's called a potable zone. What is the nearest star to Earth? Uh, most people agree that it's uh, a star called Proxima Centauri, which is like four point two light years away. What is a name for an 11-pointed star polygon? I have no, uh, pass. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that is time. That's all the time. Okay, listen, no more time. You're being greedy with time. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, can you please reset your timer? Ah, do I ever get a break, Deborah? Not today. Okay, I'll do it. Thank you. Okay, Finn, you are going to ask Caprice the shorts on fire questions. Now. How fast is a speed up light? It's over like 100,000 um, miles per hour. What is a star-shaped symbol we use in writing that stands for a footnote or when something is missing? Um, I'm not sure. I want to say asterisk, but um, that's kind of my best guess at that. Fact or fib? Most stars are found in pairs or with groups of stars and not alone. Fact. What do you call a group of stars that form imaginary creatures or objects in the sky? Those are constellations. What kind of star is a shooting star? So, trick question. A shooting star is actually a meteorite. A meteor, like, lighting up in the sky, like, going really fast and heating up. It's actually not a star. What are the biggest stars in the universe? So, like I said, the sun is an average type star. So, some of the biggest stars are actually about a thousand times larger than the sun. Star Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> I'm going to say Star Wars. Hope I don't get dinged. <laughs> And that is time. Okay. Okay. Wow. You both did well. I hope you agree that was NASA bad. Ugh, NASA <laughs> bad. Okay. I know. Not so good either. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. It is decision time. 
Finn must orbit around all the data he's collected and figure out which expert is a real gas bag. Finn, who is our big fibber? I know both people gave me kind of the same answer. Mm-hmm. I know Caprice, I think, was right about the colors and right about the life cycle. Hugo was right about supernovas, I think, at least. I think Hugo contradicted himself in the shorts on fire because mm-hmm. I'm not completely sure, but I think he said something about hot star and then it was like a cold star. Um, and then I know Caprice was right. Oh, God, this is hard. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be this hard. Uh, okay, I'm going to guess. I don't care if I'm wrong. I am going to guess. Now I'm nervous. I know I'm nervous. Who is our big fibber? I think Hugo is our big fibber. Oh. Because? Because I think he contradicted himself when in the shirts on fire rounds. There's some very good tuning in to the answers. I appreciate that. Are you correct? We are about to find out. Will our actual stars expert please tell us who you are? Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm <gasps> oh. a stars expert. I'm Caprice. Yeah, you did it. You did it. That's right. Caprice Phillips is an astronomy graduate student who works on detecting biosignatures or potential signs of life on exoplanets at wow. the Ohio State University. So cool. I would like to know if there's life elsewhere. Caprice, are there signs of life? Um. So that's what we're trying to figure out. I actually study... <gasps> Something called ammonia, which people may associate with bleach or really smelly thing. Yeah. Like ammonia may be a sign of life on different types of planets, unlike Earth. So that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out, if we could detect ammonia on these different really cool exoplanets. Wow. So you'll let us know if we need to start preparing for aliens, right? Yes, I will let you know. But those aliens might be a little microbe swimming around. So. Well, then we have lots of room for them. That's okay. Okay, Caprice, time to do some fact-checking. What were some of the more serious lies Hugo told? A couple that I noted, I think when, he's, when Hugo was talking about telescopes, he mentioned a gyroscope. Mm. Um, that was a big old fib. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then Hugo actually said that smaller stars could become black holes and neutron stars. And that's another kind of... If you go fib, you have to fib. be really massive. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge star to turn into a black hole. Mm-hmm. So those were um, a couple that I that were like really like stood out to me. But he was really convincing. Hugo, what facts did you share that were nebulous? Oh boy, I lied so many times. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no. Well, so for starters. I lied a lot, but <laughs> the FAA did not make up radio telescopes. Uh, oh, there's no such thing as soulmate stars. I made uh, that up. Oh, uh, yeah. I did lie about the supernova. I lied about whether or not you could see planets with that sort of twinkle. I don't think planets oh really gosh. twinkle that way. There's no such thing as a lone planet. I uh, made that up. I don't know what a potable zone is. A lone <laughs> Made that up. I was fibbing. I just love fibbing so much. Oh my gosh. Every which way. Wow. Yeah, he's a real fib monster. We also have that, um, we have about one million Earth-sized planets could fit into the sun. And let's see, those lone planets that you said, Hugo, planets that have been pushed away from their star and are all by themselves are rogue planets. And the zone of a star where liquid water can exist on its planet's surface... The Goldilocks zone, or habitable, habitable zone. Um, 
Oh, just for your information, the name of an eleven-pointed star polygon is Hendicogram. Hendicogram.、Oh, no, I think it's Dave. <laughs> I like Dave. Okay, Dave is better. Thank you. Dave is better. It's too complicated. Oh, and this is what I really want to know about: Black in Astro Week. Caprice, is that something you can tell us about? So, Black in Astro Week、um, is just about the third week of June, right after Juneteenth. And it's to celebrate Black astronomers, people in space sciences, people study cosmology, meteorites, all kinds of space policy, just to celebrate and showcase the world that we're here. So, this I'm actually one of the lead organizer、um, for Black and Astro. <gasps> yeah, it's, wow, it's a lot of fun. Wow, talk <laughs> about a star! This is a real star right here in our midst. Yes, Black and Astro. On Twitter, and it's blackandastro.com to find out our website and see the profile. So lots of good things. I really encourage you to check it out. Yeah, super. We'll be there. Okay, we've come to the supernova portion of our game's life cycle. Thanks to our contestant Finn for his stellar performance. Thank you to our expert and liar Caprice and Hugo, and to Lisa for his scintillating syndonic sounds. And of course, many thanks to our listeners tuning into the Big Fib, where the truth puts us light years ahead of liars. The Big Fib is a production of Gen Z Media. For more great shows, visit gzmshows.com. While you're there, you can send questions for me to read on Ask Lisa, and find out how you can participate. And follow us on social media at the Big Fib Podcast for behind-the-scenes photos and more true facts. And I don't care what anyone says; I'm going to get a bunch of helium balloons and create a star, and then everyone will say, "Look at Lisa! He's got his own star." The Big Fib is a production of Gen Z Media. Discover new episodes and other GZM shows you'll love at www.gzmshows.com. Hi, it's me, Jess. This is a message for all the Six Minutes podcast fans out there. Have you heard? There are new episodes in the Six Minutes feed called the Ivan Dispatch. I won't go into details, but Ivan found something—a box containing audio cassettes recorded decades ago—and it looks like they were recorded by Cyrus. If you're a fan and you're not following the show, you may have missed out. Search for Six Minutes and click the follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't heard Six Minutes yet, what are you waiting for? Search for Six Minutes, start a season one, episode one, and enjoy the most downloaded family audio drama in history.